Welcome back to the Farm Trainers Podcast, Season 3, Episode 8, published on April 25th, 2022. I'm your host, Rob Beckman, and our guest today is Wayne Dobbs, and we'll be talking about instructor training standards. Our podcast is part of the ConcealCarry.com network, where you can listen to the original Conceal Carry podcast, the Not Your Average Gun Girl podcast, and also the Off-Duty, On-Duty podcast. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at the FTA, the Firearms Trainers Association. Visit their website at ftaprotect.com to learn more about their instructor coverage offer and their competitive pricing. If you're a certified instructor, then you can apply for FTA coverage. Receive a special 10% off on your policy by entering promo code FTP10 at checkout. This episode is also brought to you by the Range Tech Shot Timer. A shot timer is a critical tool to measure performance, and no credible fire instructor hosts a class without one. Range Tech Timer is both the most affordable and most feature-rich shot timer on the market. Connected via Bluetooth to a tablet on the firing line to simplify recording times and sharing them with your students. Range Tech also features Bluetooth integration with practice score and built-in auto scoring based on USPSA, IDPA, multi-gun, or steel challenge scoring schemes. Learn more at rangetechtimer.com. A quick reminder to enter in for our weekly podcast prize giveaway at podcast.concealcarry.com. Entries do not carry over from week to week. This week's winner is Eldred, and they want a ready-up gear cleaning kit. Next week's prize is a lingual boundaries by state book we bring this podcast support the industry the second amendment and most importantly every fire instructor in america that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable today we're joined by wayne dobbs welcome wayne how are things going for you today they're going well how are you doing we're doing good as yeah, spring is right around the corner you can definitely tell that's for sure it's trying here <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> Before we jump into today's topic, for those who may not know who Wayne Dobbs is, can you give us a little bit about your background? Sure. Uh, I uh, spent 25 years as a uh, police officer, detective, firearms trainer with Richardson, Texas Police. That's a Dallas area suburb. It's uh, 120,000 people now. Uh, did my time in patrol. I worked a, uh, a covert uh, deployment detail where we watched individuals or watched problem areas. So I've Got to watch quite a few felonies take place, uh, you know, hot, mostly burglaries, but uh, got to do that. That was a, a great assignment with some some solid people. Then went to an intelligence and uh, organized crime and, and narcotics unit where I spent 18 years there. I uh, served on an FBI organized crime task force in Dallas for nine years of that time. And during that time, I was a developing firearms instructor for the department. I Got my first certification in firearms Ooh, in 1980, started with the department in 78 and continued on. Unlike a lot of department firearms instructors in, in law enforcement, I spent lots and lots of my own money going to outside training and didn't just wait on what would come to me as, a, as an assignment. After I did my 25 years, I retired. I did two years overseas in Iraq from 2004 to 2006. Uh, on a State Department police training contract where I ran a firearms training college or program at the Baghdad Police College. It was a transition program that was supposed to take Saddam era police officers and retrain them in the ways and mores and principles of democratic policing, which was uh, a really sad joke at the end of it. But at any rate, uh, I spent my time 
teaching AK-47 and Glock 19. And so uh, got a lot of experience uh, watching, watching those two platforms, both me shooting them and me teaching them. Watched literally millions of rounds go down range from each system. Uh, at any given time, I had a million rounds of ammo sitting in my Connex uh, to uh, support that training operation. After that, I worked a State Department training uh, contract in South Louisiana on the WIPS program, which was the uh, Close Protection Detail Training Program. After that, I worked for Colt for several years as a law enforcement uh, armor instructor on the M4 platform and the 1911 platform. And then I went to work for Aimpoint full-time four years ago, uh, and I managed the Western United States law enforcement territory for them. So that's, that's essentially my background. I've gone through tons and tons of training on my own nickel uh, with the biggest and best names out there. Uh, Larry Vickers, Ken Hackathorn, Pat Rogers, uh, Paul Howe, the list goes on and on. And, uh, have learned a lot during that process. And those guys have taken away a lot of good information and a lot of good mentoring uh, from those people also. Well, that sounds really great, which uh, makes you well qualified to talk about today's uh, topic of which uh, I was listening to Guardian Live a couple of weeks ago, and you were talking about standards. And that's where it kind of popped in my mind that standards would be something really good for instructors to understand. Uh, what they are and how to establish them. And I uh, wanted to talk, I wanted to talk to you about that in your mind. What is a standard when, you know, somebody's doing talking about a training standard? It's a performance expectation. Uh, and when we say standards, we're usually talking about the students, but uh, there are standards for instructors too. And probably uh, when you get right down to it, those instructor standards are even more important than the students standards. But standards are simply a set of performance expectations on anything uh, regarding a physical skill or, or even a mental skill. We have standards for, you know, passing performance in school. We have standards for driving test passing. Uh, there, there's a variety of standards. So it's, we're simply saying, hey, we have, a, we have a level of performance that we expect from you to meet this standard. Mm -hmm. And one of, one of those standards, uh, you know, that we probably all are familiar with is the state's uh, concealed carry uh, standards, you know, where the shooting proficiency and to the best of my knowledge, I don't, I wouldn't say any of the concealed carry shooting proficiencies are difficult. You know, they might be challenging for a few, but for a lot, it's uh, basically, can you hit the broad side of the barn? is is what what i would classify it as it's not you know trying to trying to go go along and hit a you know foreign circle at 25 yards or anything difficult like that it's a very standard um what what's your thoughts about those established standards and and how would you recommend to an instructor to set their own standards when it comes to their classes well as far as what i think of those concealed carry standards across the country is they are uh, they're laughable almost uniformly. I'm, I'm unaware of any state that has a, uh, a test shooting test that really puts people in a situation that, that begins to replicate or, or relate to an actual encounter that requires shooting. They all use what I call a variation of the no cop left behind qual target. This 
positively huge, literally the size of a door almost. If you hit the target anywhere, you're a winner. In some states, uh, a hit anywhere is gets you the full credit. Some states, a hit any uh, in the center gets you uh, in a very large center gets you maximum, and then you have a descending level of, of points achieved for hitting on the the fringes. But none of those targets represent a, an average human size target. So it's uh, the the target and the standards required uh, of accuracy on the target are not good. The time limits on it are generally way too long. And virtually, I'm not aware of any state that requires holster work. In other words, a draw to a shot. And and yet, if we're talking about people that are carrying concealed, they're almost certainly have the gun, you know, somewhere in a storage position, either in a holster or a waistband or a glove box or something like that. They all start with a ready position. And I've watched enough, enough uh, concealed carry instructors have the people lined up, aimed in, and fingers on the trigger when they when they uh, when they give the shoot command. So it's they're they're not realistic. Uh, they are very much a check the box uh, kind of operation for those for those trainers and for those states. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lot and a lot of those situations. I mean, I I'm I've got the same issue in Ohio here. You know where the, the training qualification is not that that high and that's where i always recommend to those beginning shooters make sure they come back for additional class make sure that they get additional instruction because drawing moving and shooting going along and shooting you know uh, repetitive strings those are not those are not topics most of the time that they get in concealed carry class not to mention it's not normally something that they that would solidify in just one class and that's where right. you need to be very um, aware of, you know, how adult learning takes place. And it just doesn't happen one and done. It's you got to have them do it repeatedly over and over again. Mm-hmm. And then you can also up the level of stress as I go along and tell people, you know, if you think you're, you're shooting good, wait until you get on a force on force situation. And all of a sudden mm-hmm. you can see, you know, it takes your, it takes the not your shooting to another level. It takes your brain power to a whole nother level because you got to be able to process a hundred things at one time and pick right. up on the little nuances. And you know, those are all standards that make for very, very good uh, students, shooters. Problem is it's not on, it's not the standard concealed carry class. It's, you know, no. standard concealed carry. It, I, I think I've only in the 10 years I've been training, I've only had one person that's actually failed. And that's mm-hmm. because they literally could not hit the target at all. And I, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't good conscious go along and say that they could, you know, that the, that the state should issue them a license. Right. Uh, during the time I taught the Texas concealed carry back in the late nineties. And before I went overseas, uh, I only had one person fail and they were terrified, uh, literally terrified of shooting the gun. And didn't make it. Everybody else made it. Uh, if the, like I say, the, the target was huge. The times were very liberal and you didn't have to start with the gun from the holster. I made everybody start from a low ready with finger off the trigger, you know, at least to try to give some kind of realism to it. But the course in Texas is, uh, is really very simple. Uh, it's done at three, seven and 15 yards, I believe and consists of 50 shots the times are very very liberal uh and you don't have any trouble making a passing score on it they use the b27 target so easy day like i say only one i've seen fail yep what would you recommend 
recommendations be for instructors when they're talking about establishing their own standards for their own classes, things like that? Usually what people do is, is they look at other people's standards or, you know, whatever the popularly held beliefs are regarding that skill, you know, they'll, they'll say, well, what is this? They'll, a lot of times what they'll do is they'll look at the nearest big city police department and kind of get an idea of what their qualification course looks like. And, and, and more or less, uh, you know, build standards off that. And what we're doing when we do that, and we're all guilty of it, especially in the firearms training world, is in, we're promulgating standards. But instead of making the standards first, we, we really ought to have a performance review of what's the demand going to be? What was mm-hmm. the task? And what's the expected performance in the task? And build standards from that instead of going, going along building the standards and saying, yeah, that ought to work. Uh, so that's that's the the big point is is look at what your end game is that you desire and the end game is if someone shoots in a defensive situation uh, a they're legally and morally justified and b they're accurate and i, I always say this they don't leak any shots uh, you can't defend a leak shot and especially in an urban setting because there's not any of these shootings taking places at locations that are suitable for firearms training. So if it's not suitable for firearms training, then it's a really bad place to have to be shooting. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you've got downrange hazards. I'm not even talking about property. I'm talking about out and out, you know, threat to life uh, at distances that most people can't get through their heads. Sometimes uh, you literally, you literally can be talking about killing someone a mile away. Uh, if, if you have a, uh, an errant shot. So, that's, that's where I am on that is, is find out what you're going to need to do. What is your speed standard going to be? It's probably not going to be as fast as a lot of people think it is, but the accuracy standards are probably going to be fairly, uh, not horribly demanding, but, but there is going to be an accuracy standard there and it is going to be on a target that's that dynamic most of the time. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things I always throw into my students when it comes to speed is make sure that not only do they know how to get the sights on target and press the trigger, but also what do they do if, if it doesn't go bang, <laughs> know what, know what the malfunction feels like and what to do, because there again, and anybody who does advanced classes probably have seen this is when the gun goes click, people sit there and look at it. And that's one of those, what I would call training scars that they're so used to drawing and pointing and squ- squeezing the trigger that they don't, they had never processed what happens if it doesn't go bang, you know, do I go for cover? You know, do I slap rack and roll? You know, what, what do the things go on? And that's where there's a lot of training that goes into not only being fast, but understanding, you know, what, what are all the things you need to uh, decide upon you were, you were talking about the errant shots and, you know, missing your, your target. So you got to have accuracy, but you know, what happens if all of a sudden, uh, you know, somebody raises their hand or you realize that what they had, what you thought was in their hand was a knife or a gun ends up being a uh, cell phone, you know, those, those types of pieces, because that's where it's not the physical, it's not your finger or your sights that, you, that you've got to go, go along your eyesights. You've got to go along and have the mental capacity to go along and process that fast enough to go along and take your finger off the trigger and say, nope, you know, my you know, it was, it was a mistake on my part and I've got to go along and make the best decision. Now, if I had a sub-second draw 
and I didn't have enough time or give myself enough time to process that was a cell phone versus a real gun, I could have a real problem there, real problem to defend that in court. Yep, that's true. And Bulky and I have have uh, run a class, we call it high accountability pistol. And we set up real world, uh, real world scenarios with bystander hazards, uh, requirements to move, to, uh, to engage, uh, to uh, make uh, really well done identifications, et cetera. And one of the things we do is we'll set up an El Presidente. Mm-hmm. Okay. We'll, we'll have an El Presidente scenario set up there with bystanders in and around and in front of the targets. And we can take someone that's a, a good shooter and they can crank out a six or eight second El Presidente for you. Okay. Clean hits. And we put them in this situation. And what we find is that, is that everybody's El Presidente, their, their clean score is all about the same as the other guys, the good shooters, the average shooters, uh, the excellent shooters. What we notice is they all turn in times and you're going to love this of between 20 and 30 seconds to, uh, to properly uh, manage that situation and not shoot a, a bystander or over penetrate, hit someone behind a target. We, we make it pretty tough and make it tough on purpose because what we found is that speed is good to a certain point, but at a certain point, too much speed will get you in trouble and certainly not discerning and identifying and discriminating on, on, on threats versus non-threats is, is a very big deal. And mm-hmm. shooting misses is a very big deal. So you, we can, there are, there is the ways to, uh, to go out there and make these, uh, these situations uh, fairly close to what you would see. Uh, in, in an actual street encounter, but most people aren't tremendously interested in digging into that. Uh, we're getting, what we do is we see the same people over and over and over uh, in classes. Uh, we don't see as a general rule, whole lots of brand new people. Mm-hmm. So, so. Yep. Because I know as I've gone through uh, classes as students, it's good to go along and have the mental exercise doing that, but it also goes along and makes you very aware of that you have to be sharp on the ball and you've got to practice that on a regular basis to be able to go along and mentally uh, make the right decision on those, on those uh, high, high risk or high accountability mm-hmm. uh, classes and everything you go and you're that's in a class situation. You all of a sudden you put that into a real life situation and you can imagine what has to go through your mind as far as, you know, what, what kind of, urban situation are you in are you in a mm-hmm. uh, mcdonald's are you in a walmart are you you know on a street all those different things pose a thousand different things that you've got to calculate almost simultaneously in your mind to figure out you know would it be best for you to you know run for cover and you know defend defend from there or do you have a shot to be able to go along and stop that person whatever they're doing but you've got to also realize you've got high accountability on whatever you do that's correct uh, what's your, uh, thoughts when it comes to, uh, training to a standard where the only thing that you worry about is making the time, making the accuracy, uh, for it. Well, are you talking about how much effort's involved, how much time is involved? Well, uh, what I, I guess my, th- uh, my thinking on that is, is it good to go along and run students through something over and over and over again so that they 
finally hit the time, finally hit the accuracy, or is it better to go along, throw them uh, some different situations so they're they get more mental, they get mental exercise as well as the physical exercise at the same time. I I think that repeating it over and over until you get it right. Uh, there there may be something recommended on some things, but uh, it's kind of like. Like I see education these days, uh, I have a 15-year-old or 16-year-old bonus daughter now, and what I they they do something now that that I'm I was just horrified by and still am. So if she fails a test, you know what happens? Uh, <laughs> oh well, let's let you take that over, and and uh, oh you 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 didn't do a good job this time. Let's let's let you try that again. And I'm like. I, I told her, I said, Faith, uh, you need to understand they're they're really cheating you out of life lessons because you're going to get out in the work world and, and you're going to have your failure and you get maybe one chance and then you're out the door. I said, so uh, repeating something over and over in a rope method is okay if if the, the action is simple, if the standard is simple. Um, like I would have people go over and over and over on malfunction clearances. Um, but if it's the deal of saying, Hey, let's let them shoot the qual seven times and see if one of them, if they can finally make it, that's, that's not good repetition because if you're doing repetition, that is allowing mistakes, misjudgments, uh, poor execution, whatever, uh, then all you're doing and as is, is, is learning how to do the job, wrong at a subconsciously incompetent or at a, at a subconscious level. You're, you're becoming bad at a level of subconscious perfection is what you're doing there. It's like I watched some guys swinging golf clubs. I was on a, a trip for Aimpoint. I was in Phoenix. I was sitting in a hotel and the, 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 the dining room for the hotel for breakfast is right on the side of, the, of a driving range for a golf course alongside the hotel. And I was watching these guys hammering away at golf balls and they were positively horrible. And I don't play golf, but I can, I can tell when the, when you hit the golf ball and it scutters off to the right or the left, just barely off the ground, that's not what you're supposed to do. And these guys would keep on doing it. And I thought all they're doing is learning how to be really bad at a perfect, at a perfect level of subconscious. Uh, they're subconsciously incompetent at a level of perfection. And so we have to be careful about what we do on repeating over and over for, for standards. My standard or what I believe is that what we ought to work on first is can we get them in a reasonable time to be accurate? Can we get them to, to give us good shots in a reasonable time? And I don't mean sitting there and staring at the sights for 10 seconds before you break a shot, but can they cleanly present the pistol, align sights and give you a decent shot uh, and, and do that on a regular basis. If they can, uh, or if they can cleanly draw or cleanly go from ready, whatever, if they can show you relative competence, then you can build the speed off of that. But if you start off saying, okay, hey, junior, you've got to do this in a second and a half, you automatically put them in a mindset and you've just communicated to them that you don't, that you're more concerned with time than you are with downrange results. And that has bred uh, literally dozens and dozens and dozens of shootings that I see on videos now where people are dumping magazines downrange in, in urban areas 
and they're not getting any hits. They're not getting any hits on what they're shooting at, but they are shooting fast. We're teaching people to shoot fast really, really well. They're not hitting what we want them to, but we are, we are delivering that message uh, that speed is, is the need. And I don't think that's where we ought to be. Uh, it's certainly not, not giving us the performance we're looking for. Mm-hmm. Yep, definitely. Um, you know, when I, when I give, uh, students, instructors, uh, whoever, uh, qualifications, I normally allow them to do it twice because from a, uh, psychological stress perspective, I found that if they can't do the qualification within two times, twice that the third, fourth, fifth time, they don't get better at it. They only get worse. What they need after the second time is to go back and, um, do, do some remedial training to go along and understand what the basics are and then try to do the qualifications again, you know, just beating your head against the wall does not, um, make you better. We're, we've got a culture in the country now, education wise and police training wise of teaching the test. Uh, we, we, we teach people how to pass whatever the test instrument is and we're not teaching what the fundamental needs are. What, what's the level of, of knowledge? What do you actually need to know for this? What do you need to be able to do for this? And I remember running uh, academy firearms training for years, and I never talked about the qualification. I had other, I saw other instructors uh, that were just having them start shooting the qualification on day one, and they shot the qualification over and over and over and over and over. And I'm, and I'm like, no, that's not what we're doing. We're going to learn the fundamentals of this. We're going to learn how to draw and make the single hit. We're going to learn how to draw and, and, and fire the pair. We're going to do this from the ready position. Uh, we're going to learn how to do it with a flashlight. We're going to learn how to reload. We're going to learn how to malfunction clear. We're going to learn how to safely load, unload, et cetera. And, and basically built a, a framework of skills. And then on, you know, four or five days into it, I would say, okay, let me show you, let's, 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 shoot this qualification and see what you think and put it out there with no pressure on them. Just say, let's shoot this qualification. And I can't remember a time when everybody didn't pass it on the first run. And then I would be like, okay, uh, if y'all want to take this as your, your, your passing qualification, uh, that's fine. Uh, you, you just pass the qual. I said, if you, if you don't want to take that score, I'll let you shoot again. But if you shoot a lower score, you get to take the lower score. So this score that you got right now is probably pretty good. It's kind of like having a decent hand in poker. You know, mm -hmm. do you sit there and try to draw to a better hand or do you stand on what you got? And, and virtually everybody stood on what they had, but I don't like to emphasize qualification because first of all, that's, that's a huge misnomer. It's not a qualification to be qualified. If you say somebody's qualified, that implies that they have a full set of skills around the, the subject and the matter at hand. That is a marksmanship assessment. It, it, it very minimally tests handling. It doesn't test judgment at all. Uh, it simply tests some very limited skills with launching bullets downrange, uh, usually on a target that's too big. So, mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I submit that one thing we could do to change the attitude is quit calling it a qualification because it's really not. Qualification has a lot more aspects to it than just shooting the target. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I'd like to, I would like to see, you know, move, shoot, you know, target dissemination, all those different kind of, uh, 
you know, skills as well as reload malfunctions to really be able to emulate what they may experience if they ever are involved in a deadly encounter. Yeah, you know? here's, a, here's an interesting uh, question for you because uh, we've been talking about standards and things like that, but when do you recommend that a standard get be changed? And what's in my mind about that is, you know, we go along and we've got, you know, the FBI standards, uh, you know, they've changed a couple of times in the last 20 years, but, you know, we've got advances in firearms to where we're going from iron sights to holographic red dot sights. Now, um, you know, when, when do you go along and change something or when do you just go along and accept that, Hey, you know, the, the new, the new, uh, tools that are coming out are just the way things are going to be. And we'll keep the standard the same. You got any ideas on that? I think standards should change if the uh, task demand changes, for one thing. Uh, certainly, to a certain extent, technology shifts uh, might bring you a different standard. For instance, um, and and I'm out there working for Aimpoint, so I sell what I consider the best pistol optic that's available right now. Uh, marginally available, but hopefully that's getting better here pretty quick. But one thing that I see that I can do with that pistol optic that uh, is, I'm not saying it's impossible with iron sights because I've done it too, is I can hit at extreme distances with a with a dot over iron sights. I can shoot things that I've shot a lot of steel at 100 yards in front of witnesses, you know, to their amazement and mine too sometimes. But a dot sight makes hitting at 100 yards a lot easier or any extended distance. So you know, maybe you say, okay, we have, we now have a new capability here. Let's test the troops. Let's test, let's go back and start shooting at 25 and 50 yards like we did in the big old, in the old days, you know, uh, of when PPC ruled the, the police competition world. Uh, we might do that. Um, if holsters changed were, they were, more secure or less secure, faster or slower. Maybe you change the draw and fire times a little bit. But what you want to be careful of is that you don't promulgate a standard that's going to encourage people to go faster than they can think. Uh, and and that is is a big problem. You see an awful lot of of people delivering shots, and and when you look at it, you're like, what was that? What was that over? What justified that? And you can tell that what they're doing is they are simply executing a motor program that isn't supported by a lot of decision-making processes too. So essentially, if, if the capability of the, the equipment changes, uh, better or worse, or the task demands for the equipment changes, that's when I would say that you would review standards. If How about this? If all of a sudden we came up with a round of ammunition that was dead bang guaranteed to disable or, or incapacitate somebody with one shot guaranteed hit them anywhere. And it's going to incapacitate them. Mm -hmm. How many shots do you teach people to fire? True. It'd be one shot. Yeah. You know, you know one accurate shot, boom, you're done. And you know, you, yeah. you don't, you don't have to worry about follow-up shots or doing different things like that. Right. So, and, and that's, that's a really extreme out there pie in the sky example, but, uh, that's, 
that's when I would say that standards should be looked at. Now then, here's, here, here's the truth of what standards are doing. When we don't devote the energy to training, when we don't have the commitment to excellence, uh, when we are hiring people that aren't good performers in the first place, then what we typically see is standards lowered. When I started in 1978, we shot out to 50 yards. Our first five rounds that we fired were at 50, 50 yards. And I shot the first perfect score that my department had ever seen. Uh, I, and I was <laughs> about 22 years old and uh, shot a perfect score. And everybody was amazed by that. But as time went on, the 50-yard line thing dropped, and now we have the 25-yard for the extreme distance. And now that's changed, and you see everybody shooting at 15 yards. Well, why is that? It's because we're not teaching people to shoot a pistol well at, at medium distances. Uh, 25 is not an extended range. I consider that a mid-range, but we're still not doing that. So that's, why, that's what standard changes are usually brought about by is – is a desire to lower expectations. And I, I throw out the, the, uh, the, the thought that uh, for many, many uh, government operations and business operations and education operations in the country that mediocrity has become the new excellence. I concur. And that's where, you know, encourage people to, you know, do like, the, you know, if they want a standard, you know, look at the FBI qualification standard from you know 20 years ago it's definitely what it is today and you know uh, today's a good but sometimes looking seeing what was done in the past gives you a, a different perspective about what they were concerned about back then compared to what they were they're concerned about today yeah exactly good well, hey wayne i've been asking all our guests this year um name an influential mentor who helped you get to where you are today you have anybody in mind I do. I've, I have had tons of great trainers that I have uh, got to spend time with, but I, I guess as far as who got a hold of me uh, really, really well, and I didn't get to spend as much time with him as I did with a lot of, a lot of folks, but Pat Rogers would be who I would name. Uh, Pat was, he was a little Brooklyn guy, retired from NYPD and uh, a retired Marine warrant officer. Uh, a real world guy. He had a lot of experience uh, in the job, in, in the, the craft of, of defensive and offensive firearms. And uh, there was just something about the way the guy taught, the way he communicated with people, the fact that he communicated of, that we were out there uh, to deal with bad people and to deal with them effectively that uh, connected with me and, and he's, he's influenced me a great deal. Another reason is, uh, you know, he had six or seven revolver shootings while he was at New York city PD. And I'm a, I'm a huge revolver fan. Daryl Bolke, my, my buddy is too. And we, we named an event after Pat, uh, the Re Pat Rogers Memorial revolver roundup that we hold every year. And so the fact that Pat was a revolver guy, uh, stuck with me too. So I, I think he's a, he's a significant figure to me. Yeah. Revolvers are 
cool. I don't get to shoot them as much as I would uh, really like, but um, if one of these days I can ever make uh, the, the roundup work, I might just um, come down there to Texas for the roundup. Well, actually, it's not in Texas anymore. We okay. Last year, last year, uh, we we presented it at Gunsight for the first time, and it's at Gunsight again this year in November. Oh, that's... So if people want to do that. It's it is very much worth the trip for both the venue and the the event. It's a uh, it is a great time with a bunch of great people. It will be on my calendar to see if I can work it in there. You know, it's right yeah, in the middle of deer yeah. season, so that that makes it a little little. Yeah, bit, a little bit I know. You know, <laughs> we our deer season in Texas is so long. Literally on the on the managed land ranches, you can sh- start shooting deer about October the fifteenth and go all the way to February fifteenth. And, uh, so deer season, there's, there's plenty of deer season here. So that's, that's why I don't, uh, I don't begrudge that, that time at, uh, at gunsight. Yeah. It's November's our firearm season around here in the Midwest. So it's, we get week or two weeks and that's about it. Um, well, Hey, Wayne, where can people find more information about you and, uh, what you, what you're up to as far as classes you're teaching, uh, roundups that you're running, things like that. Uh, as far as the cooperative work with Daryl and I, you can look at hardware tactical shooting on Facebook. That's the best way to, uh, to see what we're doing as far as hits. If someone wants to uh, talk to me individually about, uh, some kind of information or, or some kind of training, they can reach me at wayne.dobbs at yahoo.com. And if, if you, if you throw a Google search out on me, there's, there's plenty of contact information. I'll be glad to talk. Okay. Good. Well, Wayne, appreciate your uh, time this evening and uh, great information passing on to instructors about standards and how to set it and and uh, what they should mean that we've got out there. Have a good one. Thank you. Okay. You too. Bye-bye. That's a wrap for this episode. We have a few reminders. Visit our sponsors, especially the Fire Trainers Association at ftaprotect.com and check out their instructor insurance. Being a certified instructor was your first step in your training. And the next step for a responsible instructor will be insurance coverage. Remember to use promo code FTP10 for 10% off. Subscribe to our podcast, all the concealedcarry.com podcasts. Share this episode with your friends on social media. You can also search all our podcast episodes on our website and leave us feedback at firemtraderpodcast.com. That's firemtrainerpodcast.com. Do you have a suggestion for an episode or someone you'd like us to have on as a guest? Email me at ftp at concealedcarry.com. We bring you this podcast support in the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every fire instructor out there in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Stay safe, everyone. Concealed Carry Inc. and ConcealedCarry.com strives to share helpful information and education about gun-related topics, training tips, and other things that may potentially have legal implications for its listeners. The information contained in this podcast is intended in good faith, but it is important to understand that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand laws that apply to them. Nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued as legal advice or counsel.